Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we're going to spotlight the American Legacy Project. It's a nonprofit organization committed to helping American veterans and their families memorialize their time and service to the nation so their legacies are never lost. Wyatt Frazier and Zachary Page, two Army lieutenants and West Point graduates, started the American Legacy Project to help veterans preserve their stories of service for their families and the American public. And they say they realize that incredible stories, especially those decorating the landscape of the American military, are too often lost, simply because these stories' protagonists don't know how or where where to tell them. Uh, Later in the program, we're going to hear uh, some stories from uh, retired Colonel uh, Kevin Riedler and uh, Captain Anthony Woods. And we'll hear from Jill Henry, who's been married to an Army major for 18 years. We bring in now uh, Wyatt Frazier, one of the founders of the project. Uh, Wyatt Frazier, uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, Tom. Thank you so much for having us on. We're uh, we're really excited to to be here and share a little bit more about what we do. Well, thanks for your service. Thanks for the good work. We also uh, bring on a board member of the project, uh, Madeline uh, Scrocky. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for for having us. Uh, thanks for joining us here. Uh, so, uh, Wyatt Frazier, you're are, are you still uh, in the military? I am. Yes, My, myself and actually Maddie as well. Um, so this this project isn't affiliated at all with with uh, our military service. You know, the stuff that we do doesn't reflect on um, the DoD. It's not anything that we. Uh, you know, n- none of the views that we have are, or any of the activities we we do. Um, sponsored, endorsed by, or, or, or anything by the, by the military. Um, this has just kind of been something that we decided to do uh, in addition to, you know, the, the full-time jobs that we have. So I'm, I'm in Alaska right now um, in Anchorage. I'm a, a medical administrator, you could say, for an infantry battalion, but I handle the medical side of things for uh, a combat unit. Uh, Zach, he's unable to make it right now. He's on a, a mission in Poland. And he's a, an air defense artillery officer, and then uh, I'll let Maddie, uh, you know, discuss what she does. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this has been a project that we've undertaken while we've been on active duty, um, partly because we've seen, you know, as people transition from the military into the civilian world, um, you know, being able to tell their stories and, and understanding their stories is important. Uh, yeah. So, Madeline Scrocky, uh, tell me what uh, where are you serving? What are you doing? Currently, I'm in Texas. I'm an Air Force intelligence officer, and I do intelligence support to C-130 cargo aircraft. All right. Uh, so, Wyatt Frazier, what, uh, what what was the beginning of this project? What did I guess you, you obviously saw a need? Uh, what? How does that manifest itself? Yeah, absolutely. So, I have had. I was raised. My my mom was always really big into telling stories and doing family history work. Uh, I was raised in Bountiful, Utah, and my mom, Jill, was always talking about, you know, how important understanding our past was. And uh, when I served a mission in Argentina, I saw that as well. We we had a lot of success talking to people. Um, if it wasn't about church-related items, it was about, you know, family history. And people seemed to really connect with that and understand the importance of telling their stories and understanding the stories from their family's past. So when I when I first joined the active duty force, so I graduated West Point, and when you're an officer, you, you get paired up with an, a senior enlisted soldier. So in my case, it was a man named Sergeant First Class Troy Marquez up here in Alaska. He'd been in for almost 20 years. He was about to retire, 
and he was the platoon sergeant, I was the platoon leader. So technically, I had the legal authority, I was in control, but we all understand, you know, when there's a, someone with 20 years of experience as an enlisted soldier, they, uh, you know, they, they kind of have the authority, and they, they mentor you and, and really help you grow as an officer. And he always had these incredible stories, obviously, 20 years of service, you know, 2000 to 2020, uh, he'd been in for all of Afghanistan, Iraq, multiple deployments, and just had such an incredible perspective and was always very subdued when I'd ask him, you know, hey, Sergeant, did you ever write this stuff down? Do you tell your stories? Ah, oh, no, nah, sir, you know, my, my sto- you know, my stories are, you know, they're just campfire tales. They're not worth it, you know, they're not worth much. And eventually I got him to sit down and tell me his stories as, as sort of a retirement present. I said, hey, let's, let's sit down, let's record your stories so that you have them. And as he told the stories, and as he talked over the course of kind of this long-form interview, it really started to open him up, and he was like, wow, I had never sat down and, and talked through my career, talked through my experience, and I see now how important that actually is and how much I have to offer. So that was when I, I contacted Zach and Maddie and, and some others, and I said, hey, we should, we should make this more accessible. We, sh- we can do this for more people. Uh, so that was really the impetus for everything. Uh, Madeline Scrocky, what? How did you get involved, and what what need did you see that uh, that you thought you could help fulfill? Of course. So I've known White and Zach since college, and I grew up. I'm actually a third generation military officer, but I grew up living off base, off post, and away from the military community. So I actually spent most of my childhood breaking down military jargon into plain English to describe what my father did in the Air Force and to normalize the military experience. So when I heard about what Zach and White were doing and not only their mission to preserve our veterans' legacies, but also their mission to share the lessons learned through service and share that with the American public, um, that was something I immediately identified with. um, And ultimately, I was extremely happy to support the mission. That's interesting. You uh, you said you you would break down the jargon. <laughs> there, there's a lot of jargon in the military, isn't there? Um, it, yes, we love our acronyms. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's very true. Um, uh, so uh, there is kind of a I think there is kind of a divide, at least in understanding. Right. There, there's a you know it's 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 kind of a small percentage, right, of America as a whole that serves. It tends it tends to run in families and such. And so that contributes to this kind of this small number. Do you think there's a kind of a lack of understanding about what military families go through? So I, th- I think that, the you know, since 1973, America's been an all-volunteer force. And, and that's a fantastic blessing that our society has, that we don't have to have a draft. You know, you don't have to worry about your son or your, your, your husband um, being drafted up and sent over. And that's been fantastic. But it also presents this challenge where most Americans don't have any direct contact with the military. So what we've seen since the war on terror began in 2001 is that most Americans only see it through news headlines uh, and, you know, negotiations, peace talks. We also don't have the financial strain. So when we, when we listen to grandparents talk about World War II and it's, you know, the, you know your, your son was drafted and, and you and your daughters, you know, the, the women and the daughters that stayed were in the factories. You know, they were working just as hard as the men in a different capacity at home. And by the way, you couldn't have your sugar. You couldn't have, uh, you know, a, a variety of different things. So it really hit home. Nowadays, fortunately, we don't have those restrictions. But on the other end, there's kind of this contract that we need to uphold where we, 
we do empathize, um, you know, with people in the military and try to understand what's going on so that there isn't, um, you know, we have high trust in the military right now, but we need to make sure that we understand what the military is doing so that that trust isn't ever abused. Um, and I, I do see we have um, uh, Colonel Riedler on the line. We'll go to him uh, j- just in a moment. I wanted to go back to uh, Madeline. Uh, you said you you grew up in a military family. Th- that probably played into your decision to join the military. What was that decision like? Correct. So I understood that my dad was in the Air Force, and I understood what he did day to day. But I really didn't understand how exceptional his path in the military service was and continues to be. Uh, my decision to join the Air Force was through ROTC, so I completed my ROTC commitment at Yale. And I honestly didn't think I would ever be in the military. It brings me back to a legacy that we've done for Captain Amanda Huffman. You know, we, we don't really, by and large, women in the military look very different, and a lot of people don't understand what that looks like. But I was excited to join, and I've paved my, own, paved my own path and met a lot of amazing military women along the way that have inspired me that, yes, you can still be, you know, a girly girl or you can still have your identity and interest and still be serving in the military. Hmm. Well, let's bring in uh, Colonel Riedler. Uh, uh, Kevin Riedler is a colonel retired, uh, lives in Bountiful. I understand you currently serve as a volunteer admissions liaison for U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Uh, colonel Riedler, uh, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, so tell us, uh, tell us about your joining the military. Did you come from a military family, or uh, what was your, that decision like when you joined? Well, there was nobody active duty during my time growing up. However, I had a, a grandfather who served in Germany under, uh, under Patton, uh, I should say, in the, the drive to Germany back in the Second World War. My stepdad served also in the Navy shortly after the Second World War, so I had those examples there in the family. Uh, but to say the least, it was a patriotic family, and it was no problem whatsoever. In fact, encouraged for me to join the military. Uh, so, what uh, what did you do? What was your uh, what were some set of highlights of your career there? Well, I was lucky enough to get into West Point uh, right out of high school. I started as a missile officer uh, within the Army. Um, unfortunately, about uh, seven years in. Uh, one of the computer models they had me develop helped me eliminate my own specialty, so I literally worked myself uh-huh. out of a job. But uh, I, for 30 years, I ended up uh, having a fantastic career doing a number of different things, uh, training commands, uh, serving at the Pentagon, which I successfully avoided for the first 17 years of my career, but uh, then was able to go and serve and found out that I actually enjoyed it there. Served in Iraq, served in Haiti, uh, served in Germany, so got to go around a little bit. Uh, tell me about your service in Iraq. What were you doing there? Well, I was serving on the Joint Staff at the time I was uh, asked if I would go over, and they put me in charge of developing the security plan for the electrical infrastructure for the nation. And so it meant I, I worked with a number of Iraqis straight up, and then also U.S. forces helping to, to secure that. It was pretty interesting going, uh, well, not just with U.S. forces, but also with the Brits and a number of others. Hmm. Uh, and I guess that's uh, that highlights something that, that, that you know, we, we tend to think of the military as fighting, which, which you definitely do, right? Um, d- defense, uh, but there's a lot of other tasks that we uh, that we put on the military. Oh, by all means, I, you can go back to General MacArthur's uh, statement about uh, nobody uh, abhors war more than the soldier, for they get to see the, the first line effects of it. However, uh, as Madeline indicated, there are a number of things you don't necessarily have to be a warrior while you're there. Although all of us have that, uh, no matter which service that we are in, we have that that background that we must be ready to to take up arms if we need to. 
but there are so many other things that go into it to include uh, helping other people. Uh, t- tell me about, about your time in Haiti. What were you doing there? I was down there twice. The first time uh, I was put in charge of the uh, automation systems for the Joint Task Force as we brought President Aristide back in power back in 94-95. Then the second time was right after the uh, earthquake in 2010. I was again serving on the Joint Staff at the Pentagon and I was asked to go down uh, and uh, lead the planning group for how the U.S. military could assist uh, with the Haitians getting things back in order after the earthquake. Uh, tell me about your involvement with this project, uh, the the American Legacy uh, Project. Were, were were you approached? Did you approach them and uh, to tell your story? Well, I actually I was approached by a, a person that I met, a cadet at West Point. Uh, I had helped him return there after serving an LDS mission, and then uh, my bride and I uh, were called after retirement to to serve as military relations liaisons back at West Point. I met Wyatt Frazier, the cadet at that point. He's been terribly involved with the with the project and uh, asked me if I would be willing to, to speak, etc. So there you go. What was your feeling? Uh, a lot of times people say, well, my story is not that extraordinary. So uh, what was your thought? I think every one of us, to some degree or another, feel that, yes, we had the opportunity to do something special, but that it was not not necessarily unique, because we are one of many millions who are similarly minded, who want to serve. Yes, we enjoy many of the benefits that go there with. We have fantastic camaraderie. We we have decent pay, and we're able to to assist a lot of people. But it's it's the people that we work with, really, that that's what it is. So when they approached me about uh, the project, I didn't think mine was unique, although every one of us do have some things that perhaps were uh, a little bit abnormal compared to others. Mm. Uh, so Wyatt Frazier, uh, is anything you'd like to highlight from uh, Colonel Riedler's story? No, I, I think that what he says is, is absolutely accurate about the people that you, people that you serve with um, and, and the effect you have. You know, Colonel Riddler. Uh, and he didn't mention that he he also has a son right now who's a just uh, completed uh, selection to be a civil affairs officer, and uh, you know so his his influence has reached beyond you know in his own family and then to me for example you know he he discussed how he helped me gain regain admission into the military academy and has been a mentor to me through my career and through you know dozens of other soldiers. Uh, so the the impact that he's had. You know, he he kind of understates it, but really it, it, it extends far beyond probably what he even realizes and, and touches so many lives. And that's what I think is really incredible about so many uh, people in the military. Is like you said, it's the people you work with. So, Colonel Redler, uh, going through this process, telling your story, having it, uh, you know, in, in permanent form, uh, what's your feeling about that? I guess that's going to be a legacy for family, certainly, but uh, I guess beyond that as well. Well, it's kind of neat, obviously, and I'm grateful for the things that they're doing, um, if not for me, but for the people who might hear my story or a number of other stories and hopefully be inspired similarly to serve. Well, wonderful. Uh, uh, Colonel Kevin Riedler, retired, uh, has been uh, has joined us here. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, be joined. Of course, we're joined for the hour by Wyatt Frazier, who's one of the founders of the American Legacy Project and board member for the project, Madeline uh, Scrocky. They are both currently serving in the military. And uh, we'll learn more about the project, uh, which tells stories of veterans. Uh, they say these uh, stories will disappear, um, extraordinary stories, if they're not recorded. Uh, and uh, so we'll talk more about this. Uh, coming up, we'll uh, hear from Captain, Captain Anthony Woods, 
Uh, we'll also be hearing from Jill Henry, uh, whose husband, an Army major, uh, has been married to an Army major for 18 years, the perspective of a spouse of a military member. More following this. Support for Year of the Woman on Utah Public Radio comes from our members and Cache Valley Chamber of Commerce, offering COVID-19 resources, video meetings, and social media exposure, building value for all types of Cache Valley businesses. Details at cachechamber.com. Support also comes from Healthy in Utah. Wearing a mask and keeping a safe physical distance from others in public can help us protect each other and help local businesses and the economy. More at inutah.org healthy. Hi, I'm Lynn Warfel. You know, as a child, I'd listen to the words of Silent Night and wonder how something dark could be bright. Well, join me for an exploration of this time of darkness and light with All is Bright, an hour of beautiful music that will inspire and uplift as it tells the Christmas story. That's All is Bright from APM, American Public Media. Monday, November 30th at 9 p.m., right here on Utah Public Radio. Tune in this evening on UPR. Holiday programming on UPR is made possible by Intermountain Healthcare. It's still important to stay safe from the virus during the holidays. Please continue to practice social distancing and be diligent about hand hygiene. Take back control. Information at intermountain.com slash COVID-19. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We're highlighting the American Legacy Project. That's a nonprofit organization committed to helping American veterans and their families memorialize their time and service to the nation so their legacies are never lost. Uh, this was started by uh, Wyatt Frazier and Zachary Page, two Army lieutenants, West Point graduates. Um, and we're talking with uh, Wyatt uh, Frazier along with uh, Madeline Scrocky, who is. Uh, currently serving in the military as well as the board member for the project. Uh, still to come, uh, a, uh, the story of Captain Anthony Woods, and we'll hear from Jill Henry, who is uh, has been married to her husband, an Army major, for 18 years, get the perspective of an Army uh, spouse. Um, so, Wyatt Frazier, you've talked about, you, you sent me some materials as kind of rationale for the project, and uh, you say, of course, you know, um, uh, telling your history is important for generations that come after, but you say it's important for people who actually take the time to do this, that inventorying your life is a therapeutic experience. Tell me about that. Absolutely. The the really, the biggest benefit that I suppose I didn't anticipate, and I, I talked about this a little bit earlier with, with the uh, first experience I had interviewing, is that, that telling your own story uh, whether that be through journaling or, you know, we try to do this with a uh, one-on-one interview, but just being able to talk through your own life, your own experiences, reveals those lessons that you've learned to yourself. Oftentimes, we don't take the time to stop. We're so focused on the external stimuli that are around us, that we don't take that time to, to really figure out, you know, what am I learning? What have I put into the world? And taking the time to slow down can really be, like I said, therapeutic. It can have really incredible mental effects on people. And whether that means, you know, whether that's someone that's, that's gone through extreme trauma or whether that's just, um, you know, someone that maybe hasn't seen those, you know, typical, you know, when you think of the military you know, traumas, whether it might just be a career and, and thinking about the lessons you've learned, that's crucial for personal growth and personal uh, emotional recovery is being able to tell and talk through your story. 
Uh, so tell me, I haven't uh, brought this up, but uh, we should. Uh, what happens with <laughs> a veteran wants to tell their story? They uh, approach the uh, uh, the project. What happens? Yeah, yeah. So you, anyone can can email us at contact at theamericanlegacyproject.org or on our website. There's a, a button, tell your story. So when someone contacts us to tell their story, we will respond. Uh, we'll have one of our interviewers. So we have uh, several interviewers that respond to them and say they, they give the process. We have materials that help formulate the veteran's thoughts before they do the interview, which is crucially important. You know, so they they get this uh, this welcome packet more or less. They schedule a time to conduct a virtual interview, obviously during. Um, during COVID, it's all virtual, but when it's, you know, when uh, soon, fingers crossed, we're able to be in person. Hopefully, we could have more in-person uh, interaction, but we have the virtual interviews that we can do, and those last 60 to 90 minutes, once those are finished, we go from there. So, we just ask for pictures uh, of the time in service for the veteran, and then we do the editing, the transcription, and then we return them the copy of their book to proofread and, uh, and approve, and then they uh, then they will get at no cost to themselves. They'll get a a legacy book and actually a website that we have through a company called Porch Swing Stories that we've been able to that that's been able to help us. Uh, they they do similar type thing uh, where they help people military and non military. So they're a for profit company that helps people preserve their legacies, and they've been willing to help us uh, lower our costs and produce these books for veterans and their families at no cost to the veteran uh great yeah so the the, the they end up with a um with a with a book uh, are there online absolutely yeah. uh, the the online resources can people put their stuff online yes, yes. So, so we also have so the, the, the two elements of that on our website we have the legacy listing so we we have an edited you know narrative that we put on there and people can go read the, the stories there on our on our website um, and then in addition, they have access, so through that company, Porch Swing, uh, which is porchswingstories.com, if anyone's interested, like I said, they, they help people tell their own stories. Um, they get a what's called a story site. So all of the material is stored digitally, and then they can continue to add to that, actually, throughout their lives, uh, video, audio. So it's, it's sort of a personal digital lockbox that's given to them, uh, like I said, even after the interview's done. So we have, Porch Swing has been gracious enough to help us with that, and and that's a real asset to the veterans and their families. Yeah, that's that's wonderful, uh, Madeline Scrocky, You were you, you were answering as well. Uh, so the, this this can go on. People can add to their stories. Sounds like. Yes, absolutely. And one of my favorite things about the digital experience is after you read a legacy, you're able to leave an impact statement. So if you read a legacy and you can connect with it or relate to it in some way, or maybe you learn something about that service member and their experience, you can actually write back on our website. So, Madeline Scrocky, I want to ask you this. Um, one of the things that the project says uh, is thank you for your service is often the end of the conversation when we talk to a veteran or currently serving military member, and, and that you're trying to provide resources to shift that to tell me about your service. Yes, Tom, absolutely. So thanking people for their service is important, and the first step is recognizing a service member or a veteran in their service to their country. However, we're trying to take it, that conversation to the next level, go beyond that. And that's what these legacies provide is, first, you can read a window. So you can sit at home, you can be at work, 
log on to our website and read a legacy and learn a little bit more about one service member's experience. And then our goal is next time you meet a veteran or next time you meet a service member, you'll feel empowered to ask them more now that you've read a legacy and now that you've learned a little bit about someone in the military and their experience. Hmm. Uh, so I guess it goes to empathy, right? It, and kind of bridging a divide there. Absolutely. And talking about talking to someone about something that you don't understand or haven't personally experienced can be difficult. And so with our legacies, we're offering to, we're offering that initial look, that initial window into what it means to be a service member. And then that, then you can go forward from that and be empathetic with the service member and their experience. Hmm. What was your, uh, what was your experience, I guess, uh, with your father, your father served, right? And then, then now you're currently serving, what has been your experience? Did your did your dad want to tell his story? Did he did he welcome those opportunities? Yes, absolutely. My dad has always done a great job of telling the military story, but in a way that civilians and other non-military members can understand. Because it's very easy for us to get lost in our acronyms and our shortcuts and our abbreviations, and then of course the story doesn't translate well because you don't understand what I'm saying. But any service member stories can be extremely valuable, and that's what I appreciate about TALP is we provide the opportunity um, for time and reflection for them to break it down and really discover lessons that are universal. Hmm. Um, so uh, I want to turn back to uh, Wyatt Frazier. Uh, you, you, you've talked about, the project's talked about um, a fellow named Gustavo Ramon. Uh, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. In fact, we had him scheduled, but he couldn't come on today. Uh, tell me about him. He seemed to be important to kind of the the uh, initial stages of this this project. Yeah, he's one of the one of the most incredible people I've met during my time in the military. He was a service member who, or is a service member, still serving. He grew up in Venezuela. Uh, actually, I mean, he became an adult in Venezuela. He was uh, in his 20s when he came to the United States um, and really, you know, kind of made his escape from Venezuela and to come to the United States. He said he'd always heard about the United States and was never quite sure how real these stories about, you know, opportunity were. And he came to Miami, was able to show up, and he said he, he came, you know, he's like, I wasn't a rich man in, in Venezuela, and I wasn't a rich man in Florida when I first came. But he came with a, with a guitar case and pretty much a backpack on, his, uh, on himself. And he, in, in his legacy, one of his quotes is that, you know, he was just happy in America. He said the, the first year or so, he's like, I was amazed that I could go and I could find a job. So he worked at, at Disney, actually, and was able to find a job. And he said when he worked hard, he got promoted, and he said it was just not that way when he was in Venezuela. And he he really looked at the military of the United States, and he said that is you know that is the meritocracy that I've been looking for is this this ability to go in. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you can be someone, you can be a leader, you can make an impact. So he said he was he was tired of he'd worked in this entertainment industry, and he, he said there was a little bit of entitlement. That he felt, so he joined the military, and he hasn't looked back. Um, in fact, he's he's now enlisted, but he's just uh, he's he's going to go to officer candidate school. So he'll be he's he ha- he's he's going to become a, a lieutenant, and then work towards becoming uh, you know a career officer in the in the army. And just hearing his story, where he says you know that it's it's just an amazing privilege for him, and the the joy and the gratitude that he has for that opportunity is incredible. 
And that's not an unusual story, is it? Is it? Uh, uh, immigrants, uh, you know, come to the United States and uh, want to express their love for their country through military service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll bring in now um, Captain Anthony Woods, um, who uh, served as an armor officer in the U.S. Army, 2003-2008, um, served multiple deployments in Iraq during that time, and we'll, we'll have him uh, tell the rest of his story. Uh, Captain Woods, uh, thank you so much for taking some time. Yeah, I really appreciate it, and thanks, thanks for having me here. Um, it's, it's really great to hear stories like this get shared. Um, I actually think my story is quite common. Um, my mom worked as a housekeeper all my life growing up, and so, like many folks who join the military, um, it's also an opportunity for mobility and for a, a chance to change your trajectory in exchange for service. And so, um, when I had heard about West Point as a history buff in, in high school, um, I knew that was a place that I would want to go, and it represented an opportunity to get a world-class education uh, in exchange for service. And so, um, you know, when when that all worked out, it was really a life-changing experience for me and service to country um, just became a really uh, a real privilege and I continue to do that for for five years until unfortunately I was discharged because of the military's don't ask don't tell policy at the time uh, which I'm obviously really happy was repealed and has allowed me to continue to serve where I now serve in the Army Reserve and it's just been a real a real honor to continue that service and to see how well the military um, you know handles diversity uh, it's a place where people from all walks of life come together and can serve and can focus on the mission, and that's been my experience so far. So uh, tell me about that. You were you were actually discharged uh, for violating the don't ask, was, don't, don't yeah. tell. So you were out of the military for a time and then rejoined after the repeal, I guess. That's exactly right. Yeah, I was out for about uh, a little under six years, uh, so a pretty long break in service. But, um, you know, my desire to serve the country never went away. Um, and my faith in, in our service members and their ability to uh, be professionals. Um, you know, the military is one of the most, um, you know, it really prides itself on the leaders that it produces. Um, you know, men, women, people from all walks of life who, um, you know, really focus on serving the Constitution, defending the country, and, and having the back of their fellow service member. And that was my experience. Um, you know, <laughs> the soldiers who I deployed with for my, for my first deployment, I keep in close touch with them. We differ politically. Uh, we have, you know, tons of different opinions on, on all, all walks of life. But, um, you know, one thing was very clear is we would never um, never not have one another's back when it counted. And um, that's always been my experience about the military. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's extraordinary to me. I guess you, you could have been bitter, right, about the discharge, but you uh, you retained a love for the Army and, and, uh, and then rejoined. Um, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So, you're, uh, so you rejoined as a Reserve Intelligence Officer. Understand. Yeah, it's been um, uh, it's a fascinating time, obviously for for the country, and, and, and it's obviously a complex world. And so, um, just finding new ways to give back and to continue to contribute and continue to serve is um, is, is is really an honor. Hmm. Uh, well, there's been some obvious bumps in the road in in, in the army and the military handling diversity. As you, you say, you feel like they they handle it well at this point. I do. I think if you look back, um, you know, the military has always been a proving ground and a testing ground for, um, you know, I think it's been on the on the sort of the forefront of integration, whether that's, um, you know, uh, along race and, you know, in, in the um, coming out of World War II, 
I think you see this. This is obviously the case with the you know, service of people who are openly gay and lesbian. Uh, you now see it with trans, transgender service, people who are allowed to serve openly for a time with no issues. I think integration um, of women into combat roles is also another further proof point that the military, because of that leadership that um, you know I mentioned a little bit earlier, has always been a proving ground and a place where um, you know change happens pretty smoothly because people leaders take it very seriously and work very hard to make sure that, um, you know, professionalism prevails. Uh, well, tell me a bit about uh, telling your story. So I, I guess you got involved with the projects, um, and uh, what was that like, telling your story? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny when you have a, an opportunity to reflect. Um, you sort of don't realize all the things that are ultimately going to come up and, 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 and that, that you're going to share, but... It was a really positive experience to just kind of look back and, and to and to realize that you know what to me felt like just, you know a small a small part of who I am, um, but was you know was really impactful and lasting. And so you know the American Legacy Project really allows you to reflect on that service to create something that's memorable for your family and for your loved ones. I think it's often a challenge. You know, people who are in the military, uh, humility, humility is, is certainly a, an important element. Uh, so they don't really often tell their story. And unfortunately, that means a lot of really important stories are going to go untold uh, if it weren't for projects like this. Hmm. I was struck by you, you said as a history buff, you, uh, you, I guess you were aware of the military academy, West Point, etc. And that, that was kind of part of your decision. Um, the, the, so t- talk to me about that, the, the perspective of, of history. Yeah, um, you know, West Point. I, I, it's it's not the, the official model motto in any way, but it, you know, it, 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 it's, they make the point that they like to teach the history that their graduates help to make. And so I, you know, grew up watching the History Channel and had a real appreciation for people like you know Patton and Eisenhower, um, who were really famous graduates of West Point, um, or or Grant in, in, in the Civil War. Just learning about um, their service, their sacrifice, the things they did for the country and for the world, frankly. Uh, was really fascinating, and it told me that, um, you know, service in the military is a way to really have impact and give back in a profound way. And, um, you know, so it's, it's, it, was, it was an amazing privilege to be able to go to West Point and then to continue to serve after that. So, uh, you know, some people, some folks come from a long line of military tradition. I, I, I think I took from your story that, that that's not the case with you. You're sort of first generation with this. Uh, what does your family think about your service? Well, actually, no, that's actually incorrect. My ah. uh, grandfather was retired Air Force. Uh, my mom did serve for a very small time in the in the Air Force as well. That's actually where she went, met my father. Uh, but I, I grew up with just my mom, but my, my father, who actually didn't grow up with, did serve a full career in the Air Force as well. Um, and it's actually one of the things you see quite often nowadays with, with service members. It, it's, it's often kind of the family business, um, which is on one hand a great thing. People, um, you know, have good good service experiences and encourage their families to do that. But it's also important that we recognize that as a country that we need people from all walks of life, people who, you know, come from all socioeconomic spectrums to serve, and that it shouldn't just be a small number who who, who bear that burden. Well, uh, thank you so much for telling at least part of your story here, um, uh, Captain thank Anthony Woods. Thank you. For, for listening. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we are talking uh, with. One of the founders of the American Legacy Project, Wyatt Frazier, uh, is currently uh, serving in Alaska, and a board member, Madeline uh, Scrocky, who is serving uh, Madeline Scrocky in Texas, is it? 
Yes, sir. In in Texas, yes. And we're hearing some of the stories. Uh, coming up a little bit later in the program, we'll be hearing from a spouse of a uh, of an Army major. They've been married uh, 18 years, and uh, so get perspective uh, from uh, an Army spouse. Uh, before we go to break, Madeline Scrocky, we talked about diversity with, uh, you know, with Captain Woods. You made reference to this a little bit at the very beginning of the program. I wonder if you talk a little bit more about this. Uh, so women in the military, there, there's been some ups and downs there. Um, there have been, you know, parts of the service where, where women were not allowed to, to serve. I don't know if there's still some of those, um, but those barriers have been being broken down. Um, talk to me about being a, a, serving as a, a woman in the military. Absolutely. So I, what I alluded to earlier was uh, you can still keep your identity, you know, as a woman or as a spouse or as a loved one when you enter the military. At first, before I joined the military, I thought that women in the military or the men, military in general was a homogenous group of folks, which, as Mr. Woods spoke to, that's not true. And we do need that diversity in order to make our force stronger. My personal experience has been extremely positive. Uh, there's a few, I have a few women peers, a few women subordinates, and uh, my commander is actually a woman as well. So we're seeing more and more women in the military, which I think is fantastic. Are there, are there still barriers? You, you, I think there's still, I don't know, uh, some, some famous areas where women were not allowed to serve, and now they are, but I, I don't know if there's still frontiers there. Absolutely. So there still are barriers, not just with the career path that you can take, but also just where women have never been before. Uh, right. Yeah, I guess so. Not necessarily at a um, you know rural barrier, but uh, maybe women have just not been there before. Yes, absolutely. For me personally, I was the first woman to graduate from Yale ROTC, and that's just one example of you know women getting to be somewhere or doing something for the first time. Do you think you were influenced in that, maybe given more confidence by the fact that you came from a military family? Absolutely. I think coming from a military family made me more comfortable in the military environment, especially with um, when communicating with my leaders and subordinates. However, I think that that confidence could have been gained at any time through any other formative experience in my life. Mm. Uh, Wyatt Frazier, uh, again, before we go, to, we'll go to break, and then we'll, uh, we'll bring in, after the break, uh, Jill Henry. Um, who's an Army spouse. Um, so, uh, Frazier, uh, tell me, we talked with Anthony Wood about the kind of the lure, the, the fame of West Point. You're a West Point graduate. Was that something you always wanted to do? Uh, absolutely not, actually. I, I don't think I'd ever considered um, a, a military service academy until probably about my junior year. And... I had always thought, I thought maybe ROTC, but it wasn't that I was totally closed off to the military, but I was a huge, still am a huge BYU fan growing up, So I, and, and I wanted to stay, you know, up until I was probably about a junior, I wanted to stay in state, so I, you know, I thought maybe Utah State, maybe Utah, maybe BYU, and then someone that I went to church with approached me, he was a re- retired Marine colonel, and said, hey, you should talk to my friend that goes to the Air, that's an Air Force Academy liaison, so does what Colonel Riddler does for the Air Force Academy, I talked with him, uh, and he gave some really a really good pitch for the Air Force Academy. I thought, well, if I'm going to consider Air Force, I might as well consider Navy and Army. I went to West Point, and the the joke that the, the liaison officer from Air Force said is, you know, have a have a good Army career if you're going to go visit West Point because when you visit, it's just such a picturesque picturesque place there on the Hudson. 
Uh, so I visited West Point, just really felt like it was somewhere that I should uh, that I should pursue. So I was fortunate enough to gain uh, admission and uh, gain a, a congressional nomination. Um, that was a, a real blessing for me, and uh, haven't looked back. So I, I really treasure my time that I spent there, and it was a, a huge blessing. Had, I had some amazing opportunities and, and met incredible people while I was there. Um, but no, it wasn't necessarily something. It really took the the encouragement from mentors. So you know, people like Colonel Riddler and uh, this this gentleman that I I went to uh, to church with to really kind of push me in that direction. Mm. Uh, Madeline Scrocky, what? Uh, where did you get your education? Was uh, was it West Point? Was it uh, where? Where? Where was it? So I, I looked at the service academies. I visited the Air Force Academy and the Coast Guard Academy. However, I decided that. I wanted a better student life and military life balance, so I actually went to Yale and completed my Air Force ROTC commitment there. Oh, that's right. That's what you said. Yeah. How, how was that? That's interesting. Uh, you know, Ivy League and ROTC. Yes. So ROTC was brought back to the Ivy Leagues after the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and I was actually the second class in Yale's Air Force ROTC detachment. So we were only a few years old when I first joined. We were small when we started out, but we've grown strength and confidence. And right now, our debt services, not just Yale, but a few other universities in the area. And we have a great um, community of cadets. Wonderful. Well, let's take another break. Uh, when we come back, we'll, uh, of course, be uh, still joined by Wyatt Frazier and uh, Madeline Scrocky from the American Legacy Project. And we will bring in uh, Jill Henry following the break. Support for Project Resilience Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Center for Persons with Disabilities, working to create healthy, inclusive communities through innovative research, service, technical assistance, and education. Information at cpd.usu.edu. Support also comes from Cox Honeyland, celebrating the holidays with design-your-own gift baskets, homemade fudge, and body care products. Gift certificates available. Information at coxhoney.com. A family divided by Trump's changes to asylum policy stuck on opposite sides of the border. We never expected this, he says, but here we are, waiting. The future of our asylum system on the next Reveal. Monday at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utime. Tom Williams. We're highlighting the American Legacy Project today. It's a nonprofit organization committed to helping American veterans and their families memorialize their time in service to the nation so their legacies are never lost. And you can find them at theamericanlegacyproject.org. Uh, we are talking uh, through the hour with Wyatt Frazier, one of the founders of the project and a board member th- for the project, um, who is Madeline Scrocky. Both of them are uh, current uh, active, uh, active duty uh, officers uh, in the military. And uh, we bring in uh, now uh, Jill Henry, works as a civilian nurse at Evans Army Hospital in Colorado Springs and has been married to her husband, an Army major, for 18 years. Jill Henry, uh, thanks for joining us. Hello, thanks Thanks for being with us. Uh, so uh, it's, you have been married to an Army major for, uh, I guess he maybe wasn't a major when you met him, but uh, uh, an Army major for uh, 18 years. Um, t- what, first of all, tell me about that decision to, to marry somebody in the military, or was he in the military when you met him? Uh, 
he was in the military when I met him. He was um, had been in for about a year when we got married. And I guess I didn't know really what I was getting into, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But it's been it's been great. The army's been good to us. So what, what, what didn't you know what you're getting into? What <laughs> I guess there's there's a lot of moving around. Is that one of the things? A lot of moving around for sure, and just some uncertainty about deployments and where we're going to live, what was going to happen. But, you know, it's been, it's been good, and I've appreciated what the Army's done for us. It's provided my husband with a great education and training. And it's been an adventure. Hmm. So your husband, has he been deployed? He has been deployed. Uh, he was deployed to Iraq for a year. And that was uh, that was hard. Yeah, uh, we had a few kids then, and um, so that was that was tough. But I was able to lean on the support of my fellow military wives and um, other church members and neighbors and friends, and that helped get me through it. Mm-hmm. Family as well. Yeah, I can only imagine that must be really, really tough, uh, you know, not, not knowing and, and your husband in, in potentially in harm's way. Um, well, you say there's, there have been some positives. The, the training your husband uh, has received, I guess, the people that you've met? Yes, I, I think that's been definitely a positive, the uh, areas of the country that we've been able to explore and, and get to know different cultures just within the United States, we haven't ever lived overseas, but um, we've lived in Washington State, Texas, Florida, New York. So that has definitely been fun and been interesting, and got to meet a lot of different people that I otherwise would not have. Uh, uh, so uh, tell me about telling uh, telling your story, your family's story. I guess you were connected with the project, and um, uh, uh, tell tell me about that. I'm sorry, say that again. Uh, so uh, connecting to the uh, the American Legacy Project, uh, I guess, uh, and and uh, telling your story. Uh, tell me about that. That's been wonderful. I really appreciate the work that uh, Wyatt and others have done to help to tell our story because we are the one percent there's there's actually not many of us that that choose to go into the military and to have this kind of life um but we're patriots we love our country and we've um having the opportunity to tell others about our story and our struggles and our joys and rewards of military service has been wonderful, and I, I very much appreciate the American Legacy Project and, and what they're doing. And you have an interesting perspective, obviously, uh, from, I assume you didn't grow up in a military family, so you, you joined that 1% through marriage. I did, yes. And um, it, it, it's been great, but 
Um, I, I have had other members of my family that, that have served. I've had cousins, and uh, my grandfather was uh, in the Navy during World War II. He was drafted and spent some time doing that. Um, but as far as the modern military and, and everything that that entailed, that was something that I really didn't um, didn't understand and um, had to kind of make my way through. But it it has been it's been great. It's been challenging at times, but it's been good. And and I'm happy I've had the opportunity to to serve and support uh, my husband and and what he's been able to do to serve our country. So looking to the future, specifically your kids, what uh, what, what what do they think? They see your father, your husband serving, right? And um, I don't know. Does that they do make them more likely to join the military or, or less? Do you think? We shall see. I think um, we have five children, and I think um, one or two of them has expressed some interest in, in possibly um, going to the military uh, in order to complete their schooling and have an opportunity to serve as well. There are a lot of good things about, um, you know, my husband actually did ROTC, and that helped pay for his undergraduate degree, and then he ended up going through for his uh, doctorate degree through the military. And to be able to have that as a benefit of being able to serve is really awesome. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of the military um, educational opportunities. Well, uh, Jill Henry, it's been it's been great to hear part of your story. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You bet. Jill Henry uh, works as a civilian nurse at Evans Army Hospital in, in Colorado Springs. She's married to her husband, an Army major, for eighteen years. Uh, so we just have about three minutes left uh, in in the conversation. Just want to get a really quick takeaway uh, first from uh, Madeline Scrocky. What um, I'm interested. Um, you know, uh, people telling their stories, very important to, to do so. Uh, what would you, uh, serving in the military, what would you most like folks to know uh, as the 1%, part of the 1%, what would you like the rest of the 99% to know about uh, military service? Okay. So for me, I would just say if you're a little taken aback by the military, what it does, or you're not sure how to talk to someone about their service or approach someone and engage in that conversation past thanking them for their service, just go ahead and do it. It may seem a little intimidating, but it's worth it. And the lessons that they've learned in the military are universal and can be applied to all aspects of life. So I'd uh, encourage them to keep that in mind. Well, great. Um, and uh, Wyatt Frazier, same question to you. What, what would you most like folks to know? What are, what are you hoping to, you know, through the, through telling these stories, what do you hope the folks who don't serve in the military gain from this? I wonder if we've uh, lost Wyatt. Wyatt Frazier, are you there? Oh, excuse me. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> the, the, the biggest thing is just building on that empathy and building on that understanding that, that people in the military are not, um, you know, necessarily extraordinary people or different people, I guess that would be the biggest thing, is even if they do extraordinary things, you know, we can all understand and learn from each other, and we're, 
anyone that serves in the military has a diverse story, right? From from being a missile officer to being an infantry officer to being, um, you know, a pilot. There's so much that people can learn, and it's it's not a monolithic experience. It's not something that that everyone that does it is the same. And and just being able to ask, you know, what did you do? That's not intimidating. People aren't going to be scared to share, and people are willing to share. People like to share their stories. Um, but people in the military are normal people. You know, they're, they're not people that have a that are that are wired different. And you you know you are you're always surprised when you join the military just how diverse and how different the people in the military are. Um, you know, so it's it's very likely that the people that you meet that are in the military are are more like you than they are like the other people that they serve with. So just being able to understand that and and talk to people and ask them, you know, exactly what their life entails. Well, the place to reach the American Legacy Project is, uh, I guess, the best best uh, place. The website, right? Uh, TheAmericanLegacyProject.org. Uh, if you uh, in the military want to tell your story, uh, the project can help you do that. And if you're not in the military, you want to see some of the stories, you can find that uh, the website as well, theamericanlegacyproject.org. We have been uh, talking with a board member for the project, Madeline Scrocky, who's serving in Texas. So Madeline Scrocky, thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Tom, for helping Wyatt and me share the story of the American Legacy Project. I really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to do it. Uh, and uh, Wyatt Frazier, uh, who is uh, serving in Alaska and is a, uh, a founder of the American Legacy Project. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. We really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard and streaming online at upr.org. This is Craig Jessup, director of the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, inviting you to celebrate Christmas with the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra and Utah Public Radio. During this time when public performances are limited, UPR will broadcast the 2015 concert featuring Jenny Oaks Baker and Jenny Jordan Frogley. Tune in Friday, December 4th at 1 and 7 p.m. right here on Utah Public Radio.